We're in chapter 7, and we left off last week with Yeshua telling us not to worry about life. And I want to read it again. It's Matthew chapter 6 and verse 31. It says, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So, he tells us not to worry because worry about what is seen is not having confidence in what is unseen. And you have to remember that he who is unseen created all that is seen. And it may be a little perverted from the way he made it, but he still made it and he's able to bless it. Or he's able to destroy it. It's his. He's chosen you to bless you. And so what you need to do is you need to trust that he'll do that. If you look at the vanishing circumstances of this world and worry, then you do not believe God cares for you and will care for you. Therefore, don't worry. Trust God. Yeshua's disciples will live by trusting God. Yeshua is telling us that failing to trust God is what will keep you from living lives that rise above the righteousness of the Pharisees. It will keep you from loving your neighbor as yourself. If we fail to trust God for our provision, we will not be lovers of our neighbors, but instead we'll be selfish, worriers, looking at our own circumstances and not caring about much else. We'll not be the ones who are givers. We'll not be the ones who fast for the injustices of the world. And most important, as I said, our righteousness will not surpass that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Indeed, Yeshua says it won't even surpass that of the Gentiles because that's what they seek after. The unbelievers, we could say. Yeshua adds that seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness and these things will be added unto you. How do you seek righteousness? Well, Habakkuk says this. See, he is puffed up, his desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by faith. The writer of Hebrews adds to this by saying in chapter 11 and verse 5, By faith Enoch was taken from this life, so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things yet not seen and holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became the heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place where he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed. And went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in a promised land like a stranger living in a foreign country. I don't read, I'm not going to read the, the rest, but you should get the picture. If you don't trust God, if you don't have faith, then you can't please Him. Enoch trusted and did not experience death. And so why do you worry? He loved Enoch, but he loves you. As much, he gave the same price for both of you. Faith in God can make some people do some crazy things like we just read about Noah. God may ask you to do some things that seem absurd to others. 
But those things and trusting in Him that it takes to do those things are what makes you, what saves you, what makes you part of His kingdom, what makes you great in His kingdom. How do you build that type of faith? Well, there's only one way to build that type of faith. That's through prayer, through relationship with God. And Yeshua hits hard in the next few verses as he, as he tells us something about judgment. And we're going to look at Mita Keneged Mita, measure from measure. In verse seven, chapter 7 and verse 1, he says, Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's. This verse, because it's so misunderstood, it's almost the sinner's best friend. How many of you have heard, I know I have, how many of you have heard Someone who's in the grasp of some sinful behavior say, Jesus said, you're not to judge me. You're not supposed to judge me. Don't judge. That's not what Yeshua is saying here. Anyone who's who's not trying to cover up some sin should be able to see that. Although, all throughout this sermon, think about it, all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, if you think back in the last few weeks, Yeshua has been asking us to make judgments. Over and over, Yeshua makes judgments. In this very sermon, He tells His disciples that their righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. That takes a judgment. He tells us not to throw our pearls before swine. That takes a judgment. He tells us to judge in John chapter 7. And so Yeshua is not telling us not to judge Because this life requires that we make judgments about people and about things. He's not telling us not to try and speak to our brother who may be heading down a sinful path. And so what is he saying? Well, Yeshua is telling us that God will not allow us to usurp his authority or that of the judges he has put in authority. You can't judge in the court of public opinion. He's telling us, don't take matters into your own hands. He's the judge, and he's the judge because he's fair. And his judgments are without recourse. No accusation can be brought against him. So let him judge. Because I don't think the same can be said of us. Amen? If I judge you for something, let me say, I better be able to stand before God without accusation. And since I can't do that and I don't know anyone who can, then probably we shouldn't be judging. But let God judge. We don't stand in His place. If you're going to make a judgment about someone, then I would suggest you judge on the side of mercy. As you're going to want and need mercy in the judgment of your deeds. He's also telling us not to allow our judgments to usurp the authorities of the judges that he's put in place in the community. You know, if you're in a situation with another person in the community, what you need to do is you need to abide by the decisions of the elders. Don't live out your own judgment in the situation. Don't talk to others and thereby try your case in the court of public opinion. Follow the Matthew 18 process. And if you can't resolve it, go to an elder. 
And then when the elders decide, abide by that decision. This means you live by the judgments made by those Yeshua chose to judge. There is a process outlined for us for disputes in Matthew 18. And what it means is that we should have faith enough in Yeshua and those He's chosen to be in leadership to live by that process and not speak ill of others. Because when we speak ill of others, we judge them in our own court, in the court of public opinion when we speak about them. Yeshua has left instructions on how the elders of a community should judge and keep the community safe. Trust God to have made the right choice. I can tell you that the Matthew 18 process does not fail if it's followed. In all the years that I've led this congregation, every time, bar none, that people... Every time that people have followed the Matthew 18 process, then things have turned out well. And every time they didn't, the whole thing ended up badly for them and for the community. And understand that when you go against the judgments of the judges, then you take judgment into your own hands. And friends, I don't care who you are, you're not fair enough to do that. It's not in our nature to be so. We're always going to judge on our own side. Trust God and trust that He guides those in authority. And He says, again, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. We're going to talk about this today because this is one of the most important principles in the Bible. And if you can get this principle, a measure for measure, at work in your life, it can be a tremendous blessing in your life. But quickly, I want you to think of this. If you follow the Matthew 18 process, you're not going to make a judgment, but you're going to allow the judges to make the judgment. And that's the measure that will be measured to you. When you stand before the judge one day, it won't be your unfairness that you are measured by, but it will be the mercy and the loving kindness that he is that you'll be measured by because you put your confidence in the judge. He speaks of removing the speck or the log out of your eye, out of the eyes. How we first need to clean our own lives before we try to help others. Strangely enough, one of the rabbis who really, this rabbi fought hard against the disciples in, in the first century, but I'm going to read his quote anyway. It's Rabbi Tarfon. He says, I should be surprised if there is anyone left in this generation who accepts rebuke. If one says to someone, remove the chip from your eye, the other responds, take the beam from your eye. And you know, Rabbi Tarfon hits what Yeshua is teaching right on the head, does it very clearly. We're slow to accept rebuke and quick to utter excuses and blame. And if we do that, we judge and worse, we take true judgment out of the equation. The point here in all of these statements is don't judge, but allow one who's impartial to judge. Better let God judge. If you do that, you'll receive the same. And no sooner than he says that, and he tells us not to judge, he tells us to make a judgment in verse 6. He says, do not give dogs what is sacred and do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. So Yeshua ends this discussion with, do not give to dogs what is holy or what is sacred. And again, 
Like I said, this requires a judgment on your part. Above, he tells us not to judge. The next thing he tells us, not to give what is precious to dogs, or we could say to the unclean. And as I said above, we have to make judgment all of our lives. But if we take the true judge's place in our judgment, then we can fall under mita connected mita, and we begin to be judged by the same measure that we have judged. Maybe I shouldn't put it that way. Maybe I should put it measure for measure. You know, we're under measure for measure for everything that we do. So perhaps we should say that you'll come under measure for measure on the negative side. There's a positive side to measure for measure, which we'll talk about in a minute. But Yeshua uses parallel statements here. He, uses, he equates sacred and pearls and dogs and swine in, in a parallel statement. And so we should probably understand these terms. The term dogs in the first century referred to non-believers, Samaritans, Gentiles. Swine, the Romans were often referred to as swine. Also understand that dogs in ancient Israel weren't pets. You didn't have a pet dog. Swine were not raised domestically. But swine were usually wild. Dogs roamed in packs. They were vicious. Swine as well. Wild and vicious. What is sacred and pearls are, of course, things of the kingdom of heaven. Listen to what Yeshua says in Matthew 13. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Sacred, too, means those things which are belonging to God. The word of God is sacred. The articles of the temple were sacred. The temple of itself was sacred. And so we could take this to mean, you know, I've heard this spoken of before, that we shouldn't share the gospel with dogs. Well, I'm afraid dogs mean Gentiles, but Gentiles are the ones who need the good news. Amen? So we must share it with those who don't have it and those who haven't, haven't heard it. So what does Yeshua mean here? What Yeshua must mean is that he's saying we shouldn't share the precious with those who will not receive it, those who are vicious. Don't share Torah with those who have rejected it and will not hear it those who are violent in nature. If we move a few chapters ahead, Yeshua helps us with our definition here. If we go to chapter 10 of Matthew, he says to his disciples, whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there and stay at his house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet And when you leave that home or town, I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. And so what you need to understand with this one is don't waste your time. Don't argue. Just move on. You know, arguing is violence. It's the violence of the tongue. In other words, if you speak to someone words of Torah, where their lives may be falling short of God's righteous standards, and they say to you, who are you to judge? Jesus said, judge not, or you'll be judged also. You might want to just check your feet for dust and excuse yourself, say good day, and move on down the road. If you share the beauty and the truth of the Sabbath and the festivals, 
and a person stands there and argues with you, you might want to move on to a different topic, like great weather we're having today. <laughs> and we are having great weather today. So what does all of this mean to us? Measure for measure, making judgments and not making judgments. While Yeshua is telling us the specifics of his opening remarks. This is the greatest revelation you'll ever get in this life. Because to receive a favorable judgment in the world to come, we just received the secret. I mean, look, you know how the Lord is going to judge. He just told you. So live accordingly. It's not that hard. If you know God is going to judge measure for measure, and you need something in life, perhaps you need a breakthrough in some area of your life, and you're crying out to God for relief in this area, then give somebody else a breakthrough. God sees and gives measure for measure, will give you a breakthrough. If you think you may need God to be merciful when you stand before Him one day, then be merciful to others. And He'll judge you with that mercy. If you're one of those who are perfect and you don't need any mercy and you can just judge everybody harshly, well, just remember, God's going to do the same for you. So I hope you are perfect. If you want a blessing in your life, he, then go bless somebody. Bless other people. God who sees will bless you with every good thing. Yeshua is telling us how to fall into the blessing. The blessed ours he started this sermon out with. Listen again. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for the same way they persecuted the prophets who went before you. In the way you judge, in the way you bless, in the way you comfort others, in the way you bring peace into the lives of others and into the world, God will look at it and will treat you the same way. That's what he's telling us. Yeshua tells us not to judge because measure we use will be measured to us. But what we fail to see sometimes is the same thing he told us at the start with the blessed ours. What I want everyone to see is that measure for measure can work for you or it can work against you. If you're merciful, a giver, a shalom maker, one who brings peace and blessing into the lives of others, it will work for you. Now we get to where I want to be today. I didn't want to spend a lot of time up above because we covered some of those things in the last session. But I wanted to talk about the next few verses because I think they are important if we're going to be the kind of people that we've been talking about for the last few weeks. In verse 7, Yeshua says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, 
If his son asks for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. And so what Yeshua has in these chapters he has laid out a seemingly impossible mission for us. I don't know about you, but I look at these chapters and I think, wow, hard to live out. But he's spoken about things that will separate us from the Pharisees and the, teachings and the teachers of the law, and there's seemingly an impossible standard to live by. Love each other as we love ourselves. Don't be angry. Give until we have... No more to give and then fast and give some more. Bless, pray for your enemies. Let your yeses be yes and your noes no. These are hard things. In fact, almost seemingly impossible things for us to do. They go against everything that we are. Everything that we've been taught outside of Yeshua. The opposite of the things that he just laid out for us is who mankind has come to be. Believers, for the most part, aren't much different. The church, for the most part, is mankind as usual. And what is worse, we even twist God's word to support mankind as usual. To support our lack of faith. To the point that the light within us is, like Yeshua said, darkness. To set aside the simple teaching of Yeshua and the kingdom's main thrust of giving... We've come up with a prosperity message. And this teaches that the more you have, the more faith you have. Just the opposite of what Yeshua taught. Give until you have nothing to show how much faith you have. We worry about everything and yet Yeshua tells us, don't worry. We worry about the government. We worry about gathering food and guns for the tribulation. We worry about money. And on and on. We worry about our health. People are worriers. We should be warriors, but we're worriers. Brothers, what I want you to see, what I want us to be, is a people who trust God like little children who don't have a care in the world because we know Daddy's going to take care of us. All too often we hate and backbite, we're divisive, we're argumentative. We say one thing, we do another. We say evil of the very ones. When we speak of evil of someone in the congregation, we're speaking evil of the very ones that Yeshua came and died for and loves every bit as much as He loves you. I want us to be a people who love each other so that when we speak of each other, we think of each other and we think of each other. We're kind and compassionate in our thoughts and our words toward one another, loving toward one another. We trust that God has done or can do the same restoration in our brothers' lives that He did in our own. I think that's the biggest mistake believers make today. We don't trust that God has done the same work in everybody else that He's done in us. And we don't treat people that way. When we look at our brother, we're looking into the face of the One who saved us because He knows Yeshua and Yeshua lives within Him. 
All too often we're envious of one another. We look at another's giftings in the kingdom and desire those things instead of looking at what God has given us. We're selfish. And it's all because of one thing. We're not being led by the Spirit. We don't take the time when we get up in the morning to ask the Lord to prepare us for our day. We don't take the time at night to ask the Lord to heal us from our day and to remove the offenses that we may have picked up through the day. Being led of the Spirit is not something that we inherit by osmosis. It's something that we have to prepare for each day. Every day Yeshua had to do it. Who do we think that we are? Who do we think we are that we don't have to do it? You know, in the church we preach the law is no more, and yet none of us show that we've risen above the law to the degree degree that we're not sinners any longer. Instead of the things Yeshua has spoken of, we have things that like this in our lives. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those are the words of Shaul. And this is the fruit of the church today. And worse yet, Yeshua and Paul tell us this should be our fruit if we're members of the kingdom But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. I have to tell you the truth. I don't see those things so much in the church today. And the only way that you can render the Torah done away with in your life is to live a life full of these things. Because then no law will be applicable to you. The Torah will be rendered no effect because you live a life above it. There will only be freedom from the penalty of the law if you can live above it. If you begin to walk by the Spirit, then and only then will the law not serve to judge you. The next thing you have to ask yourself is why would Stan be standing up here today speaking like this, getting everybody upset? When there are so many easy places to go to church, why would Stan be standing up here seeing these hard things, alienating people? Well, Yeshua tells us in the next verse, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. It's hard to find the narrow gate. It's hard to get up in the morning and seek the Lord's will for our lives. It's hard to forgive our brother. It's hard to keep our eyes. Our yes is yes and our no's no. It's hard to be generous when the world is continually tearing at our finances. But no one said it was going to be easy. Yeshua said it was a narrow gate. It's narrow because not many find it, and not many find it. Finding it, and passing through it, and staying on the path, takes prayer. And not a, now I lay me down to sleep prayer. Not prayer from those who are about to go to sleep, but prayer that those, from those who want to stay up and seek God, who are willing to pray and stay in the closet until He shows up. 
We're after a prayer that seeks God, a prayer that seeks to know and have relationship with God. Prayer between a father and his child. So that when this life is through, we'll be remembered like Abraham as a friend of God. Amen?